an exquisite meal or a well-rehearsed piece of music that's just perfect? What would that look like? Imagine being at a, a fancy restaurant and you've ordered a exquisite, way out of your price range piece, uh, steak, prime rib, something French sounding. And the waitress or waitress presents it and has the ambiance and the presentation and the cool sprinkly stuff and the plate is sizzling and they lay it down at your plate and you say, how does it taste? And you say, it's perfect. Oh, it's not right for me to say this right before lunch. Sorry about that. Or, or what about a well-orchestrated piece of music? A friend of mine is a, a junior high middle school orchestra teacher. He will have a large mansion in heaven. And I've seen him before. He'll tap the, uh, he'll tap the music stand and all the instruments will come up and the flutes come in and the violins come in and the tubas come in at just the right time and it is perfect. Everyone nailed their piece. Can you hear that kind of music? Maybe you've heard that at the Pablo. Well, Here's how this relates to our theme for the book of Hebrews. We're going to read a passage of scripture that says Jesus was made perfect. The Bible says that he was made perfect. Now, if that causes you to cause a timeout and say, now, wait a second. I thought like Jesus and God were equal. I know they're not the same, but how can he be made perfect? I thought he was like holy forever. That's where we're going to try to get our heads around. Welcome to the quarter, first quarter of the series that we're going through in the book of Hebrews. We're in a, a section about the high priest of Jesus. Most of us don't use the, the, the word priest often. A lot of our Catholic friends who are in the Catholic tradition use the word priest. But a better way to understand this passage of Scripture might be the Latin word for priest. And the Latin word for priest is Pontifex, P-O-N-T-I-F-E-X, P-O-N-T-I-F-E-X. Here's why that makes a difference. Because the Latin word for priest means bridge builder. Jesus is the perfect bridge builder. He's made perfect like no other priest. So how does that look like? Here's where we're going to go. We're going to compare how Jesus compares to other priests, both Ones that we might say, well, that's pretty natural. And when we go, who is that? We'll wrestle with this idea of how is Jesus made perfect? If he's the perfect priest, how, why does the Bible say he was made perfect? What, what does that mean? And how does that relate to us? And finally this, we'll look at what's called a spirit of obedience. And we'll compare that and we'll be invited into that. Now, the section of scripture that we're on, Hebrews chapter 5, I want to encourage you to find a Bible that's near you. It's on page 1035. And I'll just give you a chance to find that and follow along. If you have your own Bible, you can certainly follow along and mark up. You're welcome to do that. We're in the midst of a subsection in Hebrews on the high priest. Pastor Brian introduced us to this sub, very key idea of a high priest last week when he looked at Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. I'd invite you to go back and Listen to the message. But here's a couple takeaways that we can remember. First of all, we need a high priest who's like us, but not like us. And because he is 
our high priest, we can enter the throne room of God with boldness, with confidence, with courage. In other words, we belong there. We belong there. If we're followers of Christ, we belong there because we're part of the family of God. It's appropriate. It is right. It is on point. It is accurate to say that Jesus is a perfect big brother. Savior, absolutely. Lord, absolutely. God, absolutely. Also, get a load of this, he's also our big brother. And he's speaking on our behalf. So with that in mind, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, and follow along with me. You find it there? Let's read. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people of God in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of other people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Soon, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now this is God's word. It's true. It's life-changing. It's true today in 2022. It's true a thousand years ago. And if Christ doesn't come back, well, the next generation and the next generation, it'll be true for them. Let's pray. Our prayer comes from Andrew Murray, a Scottish pastor and author in the 1800s. He wrote this prayer in a book entitled, Holiest of All. Oh, what trouble, Heavenly Father, you have taken to win our selfish and sinful hearts to trust and learn confidence because of Jesus. By grace, let us accept these words and cause us to be so filled by the sympathy and gentleness of King Jesus that in every situation, our first thought should always be the certainty of Jesus' compassion and help that he longs to pour forth. I pray that you'll cause many souls of women and men who hear this message to mourn and repent and grieve over their sins and not think that they're making their sins and sinful ways stronger by not going with all their ignorance and weakness. Let them bring that to Jesus. So help us learn this lesson that we are now royal priests because the high priest has completed his mission perfectly. What a joy. What a joy and what a calling to give oneself to extending your kingdom. Nothing in all creation is like that adventure and that ultimate rest of your invitation to extend your kingdom. So give us ears to hear this message. And all God's people that could agree said, Amen.
I want to encourage you to uh, find a bulletin insert. If you're watching online, you can download this as well too, or it's printed there and follow along. As we look at Jesus as the greater perfect priest, if we look at that, we have to ask the question, how is he compared? He's compared to who? He's compared to two people. He's compared to Aaron and a fellow by the name of Melchizedek. Now, I wrote that, had you write that word in, not to make you mad, but just for you to remember it. You spell it M-E-L-C-H-I-Z-E-D-E-K. M-E-L-C-H-I-Z-E-D-E-K. And Jesus is compared to two different priests in this passage of Scripture. Why does that matter? Well, here's the first one. He's compared to Aaron. Here's what you need to know about Aaron. Aaron is the brother to Moses. And Aaron is, both his parents were Levites. Exodus chapter 2, verses two verse, chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that. The Levites were specially selected, specially selected to represent God, and Aaron was a part of that. That was in his generation. You could say, in a sense, it was a ministry family or a P, he was a PK. That would be the best way to connect it. But in this passage of scripture, for just a second, as we compare Jesus, who is the great high priest to others, you'll see there's no comparison. Here's what I mean by that. Aaron and other priests were appointed by God and were from the tribe of Levi, not Jesus. Jesus was appointed from God the Father, and he was one with God. Human priests would offer many sacrifices. Jesus would offer just one sacrifice himself. A priest would offer uh, a sacrifice for his own sin. Question, did Jesus ever sin? No. He didn't make a sacrifice for himself. There were many priests that would come, many sacrifices that would come. It would take lots and lots of sacrifices. With Jesus as a high priest, he offered himself once, final. In fact, he visually communicated this once and for all that when Jesus said it is finished on Good Friday there was a 60-foot curtain that ripped in half and it was not just symbolical but it was actual now we have the opportunity to boldly boldly come to our Heavenly Father and lay out all our requests to him and think about this great high priest he's not distant He's not artificial intelligence, and he's not an avatar. He has human likeness like us. He has nose. He has a hair. He has hair. He has ears. He has fingers. He weeps. He grieves. He eats. He sleeps. He gets tired. That's the kind of high priest we have. And then the Bible goes on to say about this great high priest, he's in the order of Melchizedek, who in the world is that guy? It's referred to here two different times. Now, I'm going to show you an illustration that was shared with me 40 years ago. I still remember it when my teacher did this. He said, let me introduce you to Melchizedek. This is Melchizedek in the history of the Bible. He just peeks. He just comes on the scene and says, hello, goodbye. He just has three verses and that's it. We don't know a lot about Melchizedek, but he's in and out and that's it. Who's Melchizedek? Now, in a month, Pastor Brian's going to make us all super smart and understand who Melchizedek is when we look at chapter 7. There's one chapter that talks about it, but here's what you need to know about Melchizedek. Number one, he's pre-Aaron. Why does that matter? Because he has no predecessor. There's no 
school. He stands all alone. But what's most important about Melchizedek, and you see him in Genesis chapter 14, 18 through 20, just three verses, is this. Melchizedek is a priest and a king. Who does that sound like? That sounds like King Jesus, doesn't it? In the order of Melchizedek. But here's what's unique about Jesus. And you pick it up in verse 2. He's beset by weaknesses and he gently, gently cares. Those two things. Why does that matter? First of all, beset by weaknesses or encompassed by weaknesses. That verb that's used is only used two other different places in the scriptures. And both of those times has to do with Jesus' teaching that you should be careful how you speak and act around little ones and those who are young in the faith in order that you do not cause them to stumble and have a millstone wrapped around your neck. What's a millstone? A millstone is a 3,300-pound stone used for grinding grain. And here's how we understand that. Jesus was feeling the weakness and the power of all of my sins, all of my selfishness, all of my rebellion, all of my list of garbage, and yours too. And he felt that weight. He felt that weight. He felt that weight. He beset himself with weaknesses. All of the sins in this sanctuary were on him. And in the last service, and in all the people who've ever come to Bethesda, and all the churches in the Chippewa Valley, he was, that besetting sin was on Jesus. Wow! That's what he felt like. Who else could feel that? He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's what the Bible says. But then it also says that Jesus deal gently. What does that word gently mean? New Testament scholar William Barclay says this, it describes the attitude towards others which does not issue in anger at one's faults or does not condone it, but to the end of the day spends itself in gentle yet powerful sympathy by its very patience, directing one back to the right, right way. No person can ever deal with their fellow human person unless one has the strong and patient beautiful, gentle spirit. One pastor by the name of Tony Evans says this, kindness is niceness infused by the Holy Spirit. Think people need that today? You think there's angry Christians? Meanness amongst Christians? Repent from that. Ask God for grace. I appeal to you to think back of our early generation of first century Christians around the, Jewish, uh, around the Jewish communion table, if you will. Think about the people that were there at the first century church having communion, sharing lives together. Look at their background. It, it's crazy. You got a centurion. You have Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee who gave Jesus his grave. The cursor and denier Peter, Mary, a former demon-possessed woman. What about Paul, a murderer, and Simon, the zealot of Maccabees? They will know we are Christians by our love. So how does this relate to us? 
How does Jesus being compared to one priest to another priest, Melchizedek, this crazy guy, how does that relate to us in two ways? Ready? And it comes from both of Jesus' good friends, Peter and John. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are, a, you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. The word royal means basilica. In other words, kingdom priests. Wow. Can you imagine if we had a reputation that when this message is done and the church service is done, our community would go, here come the priests. The priest from Bethesda just must have let out. Bridge builders, kingdom bridge builders. Can you imagine that kind of reputation? That's what the Bible says. That's who you are. When you go out, if you are a follower of Christ and Christ has rescued you and forgiven you, you are a holy kingdom bridge builder priest because of the perfect priest. Jesus' other good friend, John, writes in Revelation literature, apocalyptic literature. And what that means is that means future, future literature. He writes in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, 10, that you are a royal priest. In fact, Andrew Peterson has done a beautiful song. We've sung it in, in worship here. I love this song, Is He Worthy? Listen to what this sounds like. Is he worthy? We're asking, is Jesus worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, from every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with his son. That's why it matters. You're a bridge builder, a kingdom bridge builder. Wow. Wow. But Pastor Kirk, you said something about Jesus being made perfect. How does that work? I mean, it's right there. It's in verse 9. I didn't make it up. It's right there. So what in the world is that? So let's understand perfect in this way. The word perfect is an important, is an important word to understand in the, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, which really is a sermon. There's a couple themes in the book of Hebrews. One, obviously, Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. He is better. The other theme that we pick up is perseverance and encouragement and, and endurance. That's another theme that's woven in the book. You see it again and again. You see warnings. We'll have a warning in a couple weeks. Just telling you. Just warning you. Ha ha. But the other word that's in here is the word perfect. And perfect is repeated 13 times. Four of them have to do with the Old Testament. Four of them have to do with foreshadowing, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming. Four of them have to do with what, what is called the law, its connection to the law. The law will never make you perfect. Augustine, the church father, said that this, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the New Testament, the old is revealed. The Old Testament points us to Christ, points us to Christ. The New Testament proclaims who Christ is, lives it out in the book of Acts, it explains it in the epistles, and expects his 
glorious return in the book of Revelation. The word perfect, though, is connected to Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Those verses that are printed there, I'd invite you to look them up. The reason why Christ is made perfect is the first three verses tell us how he lived his, per he lived his life perfectly. The next two verses tells us what Jesus did perfectly to sanctify us and purify us and strengthen us and to call us as his own, as his leader. The one verse that stands alone there is Jesus makes us perfectly as a spiritual sanctuary and as a tabernacle, like now he lives inside of us. And the, next three, the last three verses have all to do with God's perfecting work of Christian character. That's the meaning of the word perfect. How is Christ made perfect? But here's the context. Listen carefully. For Jesus, being made perfect, he went through stages and steps of development as he grew. Luke chapter 2, verses, verse 40 says, And the child grew in wisdom and stature with both God and men. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to make his bed. Then later it says in Luke 2, 52, that he grew in mature years, he grew in wisdom as well too. Please understand, when we say Jesus was made perfect, it is not abstract or metaphysical, but it's functional and it's to a goal. So let me illustrate for you and help you get your head around that. We celebrated the, uh, the Olympics being ended by watching a movie uh, by Disney called Cool Runnings, the 1988 Jamaican Olympic bobsled team. That's how we ended our uh, Olympic this year in the Melitzer household. And uh, maybe some of you remember this. This was uh, the first winter Julie and I were married. I was in my first year of graduate school at the seminary. And uh, we borrowed my mom and dad's black and white TV. Google it if you don't know what a black and white TV is, okay? And so we're in seminary, and, and I didn't remember, I don't remember a lot of that. And we watched the movie. Julie said, don't you remember this? Don't you remember this? And I didn't about the Olympic <clears throat> bobsled team, excuse me. But what I did remember is the wipeout that they had. They were a Jamaican, I mean, Jamaica? They don't have bobsled teams. They did that year. And on their third and final run, the four-man bobsled team came around one of the corner and they wiped out. And I remember that. And they showed, in the movie, they showed uh, clips of the actual clips of them wiping out. And when you see their heads hit the side, I remember thinking to myself, those guys are either dead or they're never going to walk again. And what the movie did wasn't true, but what was true is they got up out of the sled and they didn't carry the sled to the finish line. They walked to the finish line. They completed the goal as a bobsled team. And the world fell in love with the Jamaican bobsled team. Here's how this relates. Jesus learned suffering through suffering and obedience. Jesus became a better represent, re representative for us. He became equipped with all the qualifications necessary for our atonement. There is no situation he is not qualified for. And it's right here in all the experiential verbs that we read. Look at them. Look at them. Beginning in verse 7. He offered up prayers. He had fervent or loud cries. Loud is not volume here. 
only. Loud is greatness and deep sense. The word comes from megalos, which means strong. He was heard. He learned obedience. He suffered. He was made perfect. And he was designated by God. The mood and the nuance is that Christ's work was completed by God who did the action and Christ was the recipient, namely of resurrection. And there is no situation that he is not qualified for, for he never sinned. So, because of that, therefore, he could be the sacrifice instead of having to pay for his own sin. So, therefore, and because of that, Jesus' righteousness Jesus' obedience, Jesus' faithfulness are now credited to me when I trust in him. So therefore, because of that, whenever you see Jesus' obedience and purity, remember, he was winning salvation for us. Every time he obeyed, that was part of the redemption that he has achieved for us. Think about just one classic story in the Bible. We teach this to our little ones. We learn it early as Christians about Jesus walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water. And what do we know about that story? Peter is the only one who's got the guts to get outside the boat. And he walks on the water. And he's walking on the water. And all of a sudden he takes his eyes off Jesus. And he sinks. And what do we learn? We learn, oh, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He didn't. He didn't. We don't. (laughs) Jesus gets in the boat. And he doesn't say to the rest of the disciples, hey, gutless ones, why didn't you come out? We could have a dance party on the waves. He didn't say to to Peter, keep your eyes on me. He looked, got in the boat, and he said, you of little faith, used five times in the New Testament. Little faith, you're failing to hear my voice. You are dull to hear my voice. You are disinterested in walking into with me and then he gets in the boat and he says why did you doubt why did you doubt the word means doubt means to vacillate between being in and out and in and out and in and out example this happens to all of us next Sunday will be our world evangelism Sunday we have got an incredible lineup you don't want to miss next Sunday no way Jose or if your name's not Jose who cares But sometime during the weekend, we're going to hear the Great Commission verse. Therefore, we're going to all the nations and baptize and teach and make disciples. No one ever says the verse before uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. We never have missions conferences on verse 17, which says this, and the disciples gathered together on the mount, and some doubted. Some didn't think he was worthy of worship. And you're going, wait a second, he's alive. They doubted too. They weren't, they weren't sure. We're talking disciples. These are the people that are in. These are the people that Jesus is going to hand off the mission to. And they doubted? Listen, our Savior is in the midst of waves and doubts and difficult times when we fail to. He was made perfect. He was made perfect for doubters like us when we are overwhelmed by waves. And we say, I take my eyes off you all the time. Jesus was made perfect in the school of suffering. Most intense during Gethsemane and Monday, Thursday and Black Friday and Good Friday. No doubt Satan wanted him to disobey, but Jesus 
stayed the course through suffering because the high priest is what we desperately, desperately needed. And finally this, obedience is the life and power of the perfect priest for us. Let me explain that. Obedience is the life and power of the perfect priest for us. The final training school was the cross. When we hear Jesus crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that loud voice was not just volume, but it was great and widespread. And when Jesus was praying, he wasn't praying not to die. Listen, lock in on this. Jesus wasn't praying not to die. He had that conversation with his buddy Peter. Remember how that went? And the Son of Man, Matthew 28, and the Son of Man will head to Jerusalem and he will be handed over to the priests and he will be condemned and he will be killed. Peter said, not on my watch. And Jesus said, get thee behind me. It wasn't him crying not to die. Listen, it was Jesus did not want to experience the pain of having eternity past fellowship broken with this heavenly father. He had always experienced pure, holy, intimate, joyful fellowship with the heavenly father. And now he wouldn't. He was beset with our sins. Remember that millstone? That's what he was crying for. That's what he was crying out for. For us. He always kept his eyes on his father's will. He passed through terrible, horrific pain for us. He did not choose the wine vinegar, cheap poor man's drug to numb the pain, but he experienced it all. He obeyed, and we are called to obey. We are called to submit, and it's not popular. Redemption is now realizing as we yield and our subject ourselves to him. The Bible talks about submission. If you're married, Ephesians chapter 5 says you're to submit to one another in marriage. The Bible talks about submission. In Titus 3.1, it says to submit to authorities in our lives. The Bible tells us this is humbling for me. Hebrews 13.7, to submit to pastors and elders. That keeps me on my knees. And yes, the Bible says as in politically incorrect as it is to submit to governing officials in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14 and Romans 13, 1 through 6. I've always struggled with this idea about obeying. And part of it is, is because in my brokenness, I wonder if obeying, if I've obeyed enough, have I checked the boxes? Have I checked the boxes? Have I checked the boxes? Did I pray long enough? Did I read enough Bible verses? Was, was I not a, as much of a jerk this week as last week? Is that what obeying is? Obeying is not optional. Obeying is the response of the follower of Christ. Look what it says in verse 10, in verse 9. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. This has been an encouragement for some. Obeying isn't earning salvation, but it's the effort. And so as a response... We say, God, give me a spirit of obedience. Give me your spirit. God chose you and gifted you if you are a follower of Christ in all the billions of people on planet Earth. You are the only one with your fingerprint. And you are to be his high priest, the bridge builder, the kingdom bridge builder this week with the people at school, 
at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, you're the bridge builder. So let me conclude this way. I'm not sure what your Friday nights are like. Um, at our house on Friday nights, it's not real fancy. We've been doing this for about 20 years. I think it's cheap therapy to keep Julie out of the funny farm as a teacher, just saying. Uh, we, watch a, we have a pizza and a movie. That's what we do on Friday nights. We've been doing that for about 20 years. Not fancy pizza, usually frozen pizza. And then we watch a movie. And this week, we chose a movie called Jesus Music. It was uh, done in 2021, and it had to do with the history of the Jesus Revolution in the 70s, but the music that came from that. And so as we watched this film for about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, it was hilarious. We were watching all these people come out, and uh, Julie and I were saying, we have that album, we know who these are. Andre Crouch, Sandy Patty, I'm going down old school roads. Some of you are smiling, going, oh yeah, I know that. And we saw big hair, and uh, whatever happened to that, that was glory days. But, uh, and, and we watched different artists and how it grew to contemporary Christian music. And then it grew to praise and worship music. And we enjoyed it. And we watched, we watched the stories. And then near the end of the film, uh, near the end of the film, uh, they started to talk about artists who had problems, who were broken, who had went through divorce and they went through affairs and drinking alcoholism and other kind of issues. And, they, and one of them was Amy Grant, sweet Amy Grant, who came on the scene as a 15-year-old and went <laughs> off the charts. And the film ended with this quote by Amy Grant. I thought it was so powerful. She looks at the camera and she says, there's always bigger stories to everything. But you know this? God is good. And you and I are just another one of his messy followers telling people how good God is. Listen to that. You and I, we're just one of his messy followers telling other people how good God is. He's a greater priest, he's a perfect priest. He's one who's made been perfect for you. And he gives you, he gives you, he offers to you, he offers to you his spirit of obedience to say, Lord, I'm walking into this week. I need your spirit in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We pray that you would take these words and help us to apply them this week. There is none like you. There is no, no other high priest like you. What you suffered for us humbles us, causes us to reflect, causes us to say, you did this for me. So, Spirit of God, come upon us as we now leave this church called Bethesda. We go out as your royal bridge builders. Wow, what a calling. We're going to blow it, but we need you desperately. And thank you that you don't leave us alone to figure it out. In Christ's name, amen.